to this Sunday message, Sunday the 1st of May 2022. Before we go ahead, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for time shared around your word. May we be edified, O Lord. Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us understand the heart of God, to be changed thereby, and better equipped to do the great work to which you are called. Thank you that no unclean spirit will interfere with this word and the receiving of it by those within the sound of my voice. Thank you that, Holy Spirit, you grant us a spirit of revelation and understanding that we might move forward in your mighty name. Amen. Well, the subject of this message, the title if you want to call it that, is dealing with compromise. Dealing with compromise. Now, you mentioned the word compromise, and immediately to most Christians, it's almost like a swear word. Before we jump to conclusions, let's just find out first what compromise is, and then obviously let's look at the Bible. What exactly is compromise? Well, here's a simple definition that I came up with. I think it captures the idea. Where two parties adjust their position in order to reach agreement. All right? Where two parties that come into a situation of negotiation, whatever, they adjust their position in order to reach an agreement. Now, it might surprise you, but God himself on occasion, with this definition in his mind, is willing to compromise. The point being that, yes, in some instances, compromise is a terrible thing, but there are occasions where compromise is a good thing. And we as Christians need to be able to discern so that we can operate effectively. Let's just look at Isaiah 1, 18 to 20. That's Isaiah chapter 1, 18 to 20. The words of the prophet, God speaking through him, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Can you see that? Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Here we see God speaking to his people, saying, Your sin is as scarlet, you deserve to be totally destroyed. However, I'm prepared to negotiate with you. If you are willing and obedient, you see, there's the condition. You change your approach, and I'll change my approach, you see. God being prepared to compromise. And this is quite common in the Bible. There's quite a few instances where God reasoned with his people, met them where they were at. The classic example is obviously Abraham arguing with God over the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. You can read the account for yourselves in Genesis eighteen twenty-two to 32. But we know the story. The wickedness of Sodom rose up to heaven, and God said, I have to wipe this lot out. Can't go on. Comes down with two angels. They're on their way to destroy the city. But Abraham 
approaches God. And I suppose being Jewish, he begins to strike a bargain, do a deal, you see. And he says to God, well, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Then he says, if there are 50 righteous people in Sodom, won't you spare the city? See, now God was originally going to destroy the city. That was his original position. Abram comes up with an option. And God goes along with it. God changes his mind. He says, okay, you get me 50 righteous people in Sodom and I'll spare the city. I can just see Abram counting on his fingers and realizing, uh-uh, this isn't going to work. So he goes back to God and he says, well, could we make it just five less, 45? And God says, okay, 45 righteous, I'll spare the city. Again, I see Abram going, counting on his fingers and saying, uh-uh. This isn't going to work either. He goes back to God. And this time he says, how about 40? You see, all the time God is moving his position. He's prepared to compromise. Well, 40 is not good enough. He goes down to 30. Eventually he goes down to 20. And then he managed to beat God down to 10. You see? Sad to say, as we know, there weren't even 10 righteous souls. Sodom. But my point is that God was open to compromise, to change his position when presented with alternatives. Another good example of this is Gideon. Remember, Gideon was quite a timorous person. He's busy threshing wheat in the wine press because of fear of the Midianites. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, Thou mighty man of valor. I can almost see him jumping out of his socks thinking, who on earth are you talking about? Anyway, the process begins and God gives him his marching orders, you see. And Gideon, being cautious, I think, a cautious person, he doesn't argue with God, but he asks God to help him. You see, God could have said, look, I've sent an angel, what more do you want? Go and do it. But you see, my point is that God is open to you and I talking to him about things. As we know, Gideon said, well, look, I'll put out a fleece. Now, please, as Christians with the Holy Spirit, the last thing to go and do is put out a fleece. Fleece puts spiritual things in the physical world, which is the devil's territory, and he can mess with it. Like Kenneth Hagin said, you put out a fleece, you're likely to get fleeced. But you see, that wasn't the case in that day and age. The Holy Spirit hadn't yet been released. And Gideon says to God, look, if you want me to go out, let me put out the skin of a sheep, a fleece, overnight. And in the morning, if the fleece is wet and the surrounding ground is dry, I'll take that as a yes, you see. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happens. But Gideon is still not happy. And once again, one has to Marvel at the patience of God. Gideon says, okay, that might have been just a coincidence. This time, I'll put the fleece out and may it be wet around it and dry on the inside, the other way around. Lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. God accommodated Gideon where he was at. That's my point, you see. God had a point of view. He made his will known, but he realized that Gideon needed a bit of encouragement. And he accommodated him. 
You see, and in your and my life, as children of God, we need to learn this. There is a place to accommodate others. If we have the attitude, we're always right, and that's it, we're not going to get very far in life. And there are instances in the Bible where people had that very hard attitude and it resulted in dangerous consequences, tragic consequences. In 1 Kings 10, from verse 1, we read about the story of Rehoboam. Now, Rehoboam was King Solomon's son, heir to the throne, you see. Solomon passes on, and now Rehoboam becomes the king of Israel. As soon as he is appointed, the people of Israel come to him and they say, your father was very hard on us. I think Solomon went a bit off the rails towards the end. Anyway, they said, he's been very hard on us. Can you lighten our load so at least we can live? You see? Rehoboam's answer was, go away, give me three days to consider it, and then come back. In those three days, he first consults the old advisors to his father. And these advisors say, listen, basically accommodate the people, make their load easier, give them a life, so to speak, and they'll serve you, quite obviously. They'll serve you. They'll be loyal, you see. But unfortunately, Rehoboam didn't stop there. He consulted with the younger generation that he'd grown up with. And their attitude, very arrogant, was, no, crack the whip, so to speak. And the phrase that Rehoboam came up with, my finger is much thicker than my father's waist. In other words, if he made your life miserable, I'm going to make it twice as miserable. Instead of whips, I'm going to use scourges and terrible things like that. Anyway, three days pass, they come back, and that's the advice he gives the people. You're in for a tough time. Quite understandably, what happens? It was prophesied, by the way. They rebel. And it is written in the word that Israel rebelled against the house of David, even to this day. You see, tragic consequences for having a hardline attitude, not being prepared to listen, to reason, to give a little, to understand. We had a similar instance in our world recently. You might have heard of the truckers' demonstration in Canada, where these poor truckers, great people, were really battling under the COVID mandates. It made their lives absolutely miserable, and they just had enough. And as you might recall, they all drove their beautiful trucks up to Ottawa, and they jammed the city, caused mayhem. But it was all peaceful, completely peaceful, and it was quite an occasion, apparently. However, the so-called Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, young upstart, adopted the completely wrong attitude. He refused to speak to them. He refused to negotiate with them. He refused to see them. He publicly derided them. And then eventually, he turned the apparatus of the state against them closing down their bank accounts, prohibiting them from operating in any way, shape or form, and forcibly removing their trucks. 
And can I just say, I listened to a few of the interviews with these truckers. And I was so impressed. They were very fine people. People that any nation would be proud to have as their citizens. As a result of Trudeau's hard line, what's happened now is that he's been totally estranged from the people and he's reduced Canada, a beautiful land, a beautiful land, with so much resources, so much natural beauty, and such wonderful people. He's reduced it to a dictatorship, total dictatorship, a police state. And it'll take a long time for that to be resolved. But you see, my point is this, that he refused to negotiate. And we need to learn how to negotiate in the workplace. If you are a boss, listen to the staff. Listen to them. Try and accommodate them and make their lives as comfortable as possible. And the company will benefit. You might have heard of Sir Richard Branson, I think they call him now. He started up a company called Virgin Active. He took on British Airways and challenged their monopoly on overseas flights. He won a big court case, and his company did very well, has done very well, and is still doing very well. But his company adopted, well, he adopted, a very different attitude to what was the standard corporate attitude. He addressed his staff, and he inquired of them what they would like, what color they would like the office, what times would suit them best, how they could best do the job they had to do. He accommodated them. Because of that, it's common knowledge that the people love to work for the company and the productivity skyrocketed. Can you see? The right attitude. We need to learn to negotiate in families. Parents, the word says, do not exasperate your children. Yes, the children need to be obedient. We know that. But how does a parent exasperate a child? When the child comes and asks for something, the answer is always no. No, no, no. And you see, if that's the case, eventually what will happen, that child will rebel and get into more trouble than if they'd been accommodated and Maybe met halfway. You can go out, but these are the times for now. Make sure you're with, etc., etc. You see, there are boundaries, but there's also accommodation. Kids need to live, amen. They need to be with their friends. It's important. Also in marriage, of course. That's what marriage is all about, accommodating the spouse. If you go into marriage with, it's my way or the highway, your marriage is not going to go very far. Sad to say a lot of people regard marriage as just an add-on extra to the way they've always been living. We can't do that. Things change. When you're living with somebody else, it's a whole new ball game. And you see, you have to learn to accommodate. You and I can't just do what we've always done. We can't. doesn't mean we have to give up everything. But it does mean we have to accommodate the other one. I mean, 
So you see, my point is this, that as far as Christians are concerned, or anybody's concerned for that matter, if we understand the definition of compromise, where two parties are prepared to adjust, to adjust their position in order to reach an agreement. I believe with God in any situation, proper compromise always, always, always will lead to a win-win situation. Those are the best deals. Win-win is much better than somebody outdoes somebody else in the long run. However, there's a place where there is no room whatsoever for compromise. Let's read Matthew 4. I'm just going to go to verse 8. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. This is the occasion where, as we know, the Lord was led out, driven out actually into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What we must understand about these temptations is that for the Lord where he was, they were very, very real. It wasn't a case of him frivolously coming up with the word of God. They were great temptations. The first, of course, was in the area of his hunger. Forty days without food. You can just imagine him looking at those stones and thinking, you know, that would make a lovely loaf of nice hot bread. You see? Anyway, the enemy comes with a temptation, but he turns him down, as we know, with the word of God. Cannot live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The next temptation was to jump off the, the temple, the high tower, and trust God to protect him. That would be presumption, but he turned that one down as well. The one that I want to concentrate on for now is the last temptation. What? Let me just read it. Matthew 4 verse 8. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Yeshua said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him. Behold, angels came and ministered to him. Please understand, this was a real temptation, because, you see, he was there, to be installed as the ruler of the earth. That was the end game, as it were. However, the path to that end game, from God's perspective, would take him through the cross. What this temptation was about, very subtly, you can have what you are going to get anyway, but you don't have to go through the cross. Now you see, the devil's nature is to try and argue, try and make a deal, try and bargain. And the truth of the matter is, you cannot, under any circumstances, bargain with the devil. The Lord didn't bother. He just gave him the word and left it there. And you see, the problem with bargaining with the devil is that it's always to your and my detriment even though it might seem to our benefit to start off with. He has a hidden agenda. You see, in this case, if we analyze it, 
all things I will give to you. And the Lord didn't argue that he couldn't give them to him, by the way. He realized that it was his to give him. But there's one little condition. You fall down and worship me. See that? And if you analyze it, the moment he worships him, which is what Adam and Eve did in the garden, you see, even though you are put in charge of the world, you are still subject to Satan, to him. He still remains the God of this world. Can you see that? It's just a thin edge of the wedge. Satan is a creeper. And you and I have no business negotiating with him. A lot of Christians say, oh well, in their minds, if you regard your life as a mansion, and it's got many rooms, in a sense people say, well, God, you can have all these rooms, all these rooms, however, just this one, just this one, that, that's my own private business, that, that, that will keep separate. You see, what is that about? That's bargaining with the devil, giving him a slight foothold. And the truth of the matter is, if you give him a foothold, inevitably he starts to take over. You might say, oh, well, there's just one room that is not God's. Let me tell you something. Even though it's a separate room, it's filled with sin, the stench of that room will flow through the whole house. You see, we cannot afford to negotiate with the devil. Because he always wants to take a little bit, then a little bit, and then a little bit. And inevitably, he takes over. That's his very nature, you see. So when it comes to dealing with him, we have no right to negotiate with him in any way whatsoever. There's no room for compromise with him. No room whatsoever. Flowing from that, there's no room for compromising with the world. You know, I cannot afford to compromise with the world. A lot of people say, oh, well, God understands. God does understand, but he's not happy with it, you see. And if you are prepared to say to yourself, oh, well, let sleeping dogs lie, so to speak, sweep it under the carpet, that's compromise. You're compromising with the world system. You're allowing it to have part and parcel of your life. And you see, we can't do that. As children of God, the Bible is very clear. Let's look at Matthew 5, 27 to 30. Very powerful scripture, this. And one that's rather, how shall I say, shocking in a way. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman in lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Some translations say, gouge it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. All right, now, this is not speaking literally, of course. 
Why do I know that it's not speaking literally? If he was speaking literally, there'd be very many people on this earth with one eye and with one hand. Amen. In addition to that, if your eye is causing you to sin and you pluck one out, you've still got another one. Quite capable of the same sin. You understand? So he's not speaking literally. But what he is trying to impress is how violently we must oppose anything. Anything that wants to pollute our minds and our being. We have to be ruthless about it. Let's look at another scripture, Revelation 3.16. We've all heard of the Laodicean church. I'm just trying to express to you God's approach to these things. There's a place for compromise, but there's a place where compromise has to be avoided at all costs. It doesn't have a place in a Christian's walk. Revelation 3, we're learning here about the various churches. Okay, I'm just taking from verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Can you see that? I will vomit you out of my mouth. There's no place for compromise when it comes to you and I in the kingdom of heaven when we're dealing with the things of God. It also applies to the word of God. We cannot afford to compromise what God has said in his word. The devil will very easily persuade you and I because of maybe the environment in which we live, the way people think, our communities, that maybe this word is a bit outdated now and we can change it. We cannot afford to compromise under no circumstance. And you see, we cannot allow any thought to enter our minds that will bring compromise into our thinking. We have to cast it down. We have to be violently opposed to it. We have to keep a guard. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-6 For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You see that? Bringing every thought into captivity, casting down. It's a physical thing almost. You cast it down. You don't allow it to sully your mind. The reason being that once you allow one little spot, as it were, the devil has got you. And it's not long before that spot gets bigger. In James 1, 26 to 27, it speaks there about true religion. True religion is this, taking care of widows and orphans and not being spotted by the world. Not being spotted by the world. Quite an interesting thought that. I just want to close with an illustration from Kenneth Hagin's experience. He was 
involved with a pastoral couple, and the wife left the husband, you see. And Kenneth Hagin asked God if he was supposed to pray for her, and the Lord on this occasion said no. She knew the gifts and callings of God, and she made her choice, you see. In other words, prayer right now for her would be pointless. Then Kenneth Hagin asked the Lord, how did this happen, you see? How did this happen? And the Lord gave him this illustration, which I'd like to just leave with us. This woman was in the ministry with all the rigors of ministry, but she was casting an envious eye, as it were, onto the world system and thinking, if I was in that world system, I could have all these clothes and all this life I could live and go to all these restaurants and do all these wonderful things. The devil lying to her, by the way, because truth of the matter is, with the Lord, you could have had all these things anyway. But you see, that was her thinking. Anyway, what was planted in her brain, and this is how the Lord illustrated it to Kenneth Hagin, was a little black spot. A little black spot, a thought of how nice it would be to be free from the burden of ministry, basically. What happened over time, because that spot wasn't broken down, cast out, it grew, you see. It grew to a bigger spot, bigger and bigger, until ultimately it became her obsession, to the extent that she left her husband, went off with some other people, other men, and on her way to destruction. Can you see? It started off with a small thing. The key to this whole business of living righteously before God is not to let the seed be planted to tear that seed out and cast it out. That needs to become a habit. And you see, as we do that, we become more and more protected, as it were, from the wiles of the enemy. You and I cannot afford to negotiate with the evil one. We cannot negotiate with the word of God. What God has said, God has said. That's it. And we cannot negotiate with the world system in our lives. Father God, I pray that you'll help us to follow these instructions, to be people that are reasonable when that is required. In dealing with fellow man, be able to negotiate and to accommodate differences that are inherent in all of us. To create an environment of peace, happiness, joy and success ultimately. But Lord, help us to discern when it is not time to negotiate, when it's time for there to be no compromise, whatever in our hearts, so that we might live a pure life before you in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen.